being a small guy, you gotta have that confidence in what you can do and know your abilities. So I just try to take that with everything I do, not just football, in life too. You, know, you just gotta have confidence. And, you know, he loved big, tall corners and physical corners, so he's looking forward to me contributing to the defense. And I'm looking forward to, you know, making plays and just be thankful that he um, drafted me. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Minnesota Vikings podcast. I am Cy Amundsen, joined by Jay Nelson from the Vikings Entertainment Network. This is episode 51, and we near the start of 2020 Vikings training camp that is, Jay, officially still on track. we got a great show for you today. Our very own Chris Corso is going to talk to third-round pick and a guy who a lot of people are really excited about, cornerback Cameron Dantzler out of Mississippi State, a guy that I know our friend Ben Lieber was really high on pre-draft, and then we wound up uh, with. Before we do that, I want to touch on a couple of things. Uh, Jay, and I think we should start with this. This is going out on a Friday. Normally... We try to put this show out on a Wednesday, Thursday at the latest, but we thought due to the ongoing negotiations between the NFL and the NFLPA on all the nuance that goes into having a season during a global pandemic, the two sides had had basically set a a working deadline of Thursday to announce kind of some of their agreements. And so we thought, well, okay, let's do our show on Friday. Well, didn't happen, and now their working deadline is maybe this weekend, maybe Monday. So basically there's just a little bit of details slowly starting to trickle out, but nothing is officially public yet, right, Jay? Yeah, so uh, basically the NFLPA met yesterday, and then today apparently the league slash owners had also met and um, there's just a lot of moving parts here, and we're getting small nuggets from from different writers like Schefter and Pelissero and Rappaport, and and even Mike Florio here. They're, they're, things are literally changing, like by the minute. And so there's statements being put out by the league and the NFLPA working on their side. And and like you said, we were trying to get kind of the most up to date info that we could, and we're finally at a point we just need to to talk to you guys and let you know what's going on here. So we figure we'll break down as much as we can, and um, who knows by by the time Monday hits, all this stuff could be completely different. So for right now, we're going to go off of what we know for a fact and uh, just let you guys know what we can. And Jay, why don't you and and I'll react to it because I'm the dramatic one. But why don't you kind of give us a little bit of that, uh, a little bit of the information that because one thing I know I saw was I think I saw this from Pelissero and Rappaport, and this isn't even NFLPA NFL, but I saw it came out that you know they're having their uh, I think the Chiefs are having their rookies and QBs report July twentieth. Uh, which is next week for COVID testing. And if they don't, they'll face some sort of penalties under the agreed upon CBA. So that, that's all part of these moving parts. Like when you, when, you, when you put in a whole new set of rules about the way a season has to be played or should be played, you know, the, the idea of punishments and expectations, that's what really complicates it. Not to mention stepping into the financial aspect of it, which is what we saw Major League Baseball have an incredibly difficult time with. I think this is kind of similar to what baseball was going through. There's the agreed upon CBA that the 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 league and the the players association agree upon, but because everything's literally been thrown in the air because of the pandemic, 
they're now having to come up with these other agreements on on different things that they haven't even discussed before. So what you're seeing now is you're you're seeing teams having to report everyone trying to come to an agreement and technically from all of the reading that I've been doing the league itself if there is no agreement the league itself can impose the rules that they have set and then the the NFLPA has to file a grievance in order to fight that. So in the end, you could find out even after this weekend that the two sides haven't had an agreement, but the train's still moving. So it yeah. feels like here what what's happening is because of the July 20th report date for, like you said, the Texans and the Chiefs. The Texans and Chiefs, and it's important to point out that the reason those two teams uh, are mentionable is because they are the official opening game. That's the Thursday night, September 10th, official NFL opener. Yep, and you saw you've you've seen JJ uh, Watt getting a lot of attention because he put out a tweet with all of the stuff that they didn't have agreement on yet since he he is dialed in with the NFLPA, and you saw Patrick Mahomes retweeting some different stuff that was being put out there too. So you're starting to see some of these players for these different teams that are being affected by it, especially the ones that are having to show up literally on Monday, starting to say, "Hey, we're just raising our hands, saying what are we doing here." And the league itself is trying to reassure everybody that when it comes to the medical testing and the protocols and those kind of things, like they have a system in place. I think what it comes down to now is just making sure that the league and the players are on the same page when it comes to how this is all going to be executed. And, um, you know, the players are concerned about safety and the, and the, the league itself is trying to facilitate it. So, you know, it's well, going to be interesting. I, you know, the, 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 the main things that are sticking out to me are, you know, I think by all reports, the biggest uh, the biggest things still outstanding seem to be the economic issues and how to handle this projected financial shortfall due to the lack of fans in the stands. And right now, it sounds like owners would prefer to take the short-term hit, but player reps would prefer to spread it out over multiple years. And that's that's going to be the really complicated back and forth that I, I think however long it takes to get a final answer on all this stuff, that that'll probably be the last piece in in, in my estimation that gets locked into place. Uh, the two really interesting things I saw: the NFL will have uh, the NFL pro- proposal at this point has a provision for players to be able to opt out for the season in writing by August first. And I, you know, I think NFL fans haven't really thought of that yet because I think the the NFL fan base and my mentality it's so different than baseball and so di- and you you see baseball players and basketball players opting out of their it's the end of their seasons you know like for baseball it's a 60 game season and for NBA it's just the bubble I I do think there's a chance that you see some NFL players that decide to exercise that opt-out. And based upon who they are, you forget, you lose one important offensive lineman, that can change the entire entire trajectory of a team season. You know, these guys all over the league can be so important in so many different ways. So I think that'll be really, really, really interesting. And then the other thing the current proposal said is that players who test positive for COVID would go on the IR for three weeks and they'd be able to return the following three weeks after that without having to go on full IR. You know, obviously testing goes into that. To me, that's the big talker going into the NFL season is I think uh, my, my, I'm, I'm very hopeful football will go off as scheduled. I, right now I think it will. 
I just think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens when, and we'll get a taste of that with baseball, but it's week nine and the Packers are four and four and they've got three tough division games. And all of a sudden Aaron Rodgers tests positive for COVID and he mandatorily has to sit out for three weeks. It's just, this is going to be given the the framework of the proposal and what we think comes together, this might be a very wild and interesting season. Yeah, there's there's definitely these wild cards that are going to affect teams for big chunks of the season. I mean, if you were to talk about a guy being injured for three weeks of a normal season, you, if you go 0-3 during those three weeks, that can completely shift your entire season as, as an organization. So not only are we talking about those three weeks, but potentially three weeks after that and then whatever happens after that as well. Again, this is all being debated and proposed, but those are giant chunks of your season if you've only got the 17-week season that you normally have. Now, there's other debate out there on if things are going to get delayed, if they're going to push back season, whatever. As of now, the schedule is normal, and I think fans at this point, when this stuff is finalized, most likely Friday or quickly thereafter the fans are going to have to pay attention to this for multiple reasons fantasy football all that kind of stuff too but as far as normal football goes the coaches the front office everybody's going to have to look at rosters and these new rules in order to understand what they have to prepare for for the depth of their rosters for the rest of the season so it's going to be the wild west this year it really is can i tell you one thing that i loved that everybody else ripped apart Uh, I think it came out a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, where they announced that players, did you see they won't, players aren't allowed to shake hands or, or exchange jerseys after the game. Yes. So that was met with this unbelievable satire and criticism. Everybody, every, like fans, media, like uh, my good friend, Paul Charchian, made fun of it on a level on the radio that is almost not comparable, right? But, you know, I sat and I thought about it, and I just think, I think it's so smart. I I think the league, because here's the deal. Now, your hope is that when all these guys, they're tested before they play, that that's foolproof and no one gets in the building with COVID and, you know, that you've completely contained it, right? But that's a pretty... That's a pretty big hope. I, I think it's realistic to think that there will be some slippage there. So now, is it silly to tell Garrett Bradbury that he can't shake the hand of a defensive tackle after the game? Yeah, that's kind of silly. They've been breathing and spitting and running all over each other. But Kirk Cousins and Matt Ryan, for example, if you play the Falcons, don't get within a hundred feet of each other all game long. Why would I want to risk my star quarterback's health with somebody that he hasn't been within a couple feet of, like it it just, to me, it's a no brainer. It's super smart. And everybody thought it was so stupid. And Jay, I'm at this point where every single rule, I don't care how dumb sport, the sports media world thinks it is. Every single rule that gives me even a fraction of a percentage of a better chance of having my whole football team there every week. I view it the same way. I view the entire preventative process of COVID, right? Because everybody's everybody's busy arguing about what's the validity of wearing a mask, multiple people wearing a mask, standing six feet away, washing your hands. I think each of those things represents a percentage chunk 
reduction in your chances of getting the virus, right? So every time you and somebody else have a mask on, it's this much. Every time you and somebody else have a mask on and you're six feet apart, it's this much. And every time you wash your hands, like everything you do reduces that amount. And to me, that's what I, that's how I'm looking at the league. If every single one of their rule in, decreases the possibility that my team's players can get the the virus even by a minuscule amount i think it's an important rule and so i i i want them to go ham i want them to take silly precautions the whole thing is about mitigating risk i mean there's going to be an article coming out we had peter king going through the building, looking at all of the preventative measures for, for not passing along this virus here in the building. You've got signs everywhere. You've got screens, you've got testing, you've got hand wipes. They're doing everything they can to try to salvage a season. And I think as long as they're putting in these rules, there's a reason. Yes, on its face, it looks silly because of given what they had been doing for the previous 60 minutes on the field. But in the end, they're just looking at it saying, why are we taking the risk? This is just another chance that you might have not had it before. Like you said, if you're coming into contact with somebody you wouldn't have before, that's just another chunk of risk. And I understand why they're trying to do it. I just think, yes, on its face, it looks silly. But if they're doing this to try to save the season, then do everything you can to make that happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I, I know other people thought it would look silly. I thought it was silly how silly they thought it was because I just, you know, I'm not, I don't have the hubris, like the NFL, the powers at B in the end there is nothing more important to them than putting together a safe season that happens. It is a, it is such a bummer is the, is, is not a word to describe how, how disappointing it would be for fans and for teams and for the league. But I'm going to say bummer. It would be such Like, I have been stuck in my house. I have been distanced. If we don't get football, I am going to become a maniac. So I don't care if they're like, after the game, all quarterbacks will be put in one of those bulletproof Pope mobiles and driven back to their house. I don't care, man. Whatever you got to do, do it. Uh, the, The other, shifting away from the possible agreement, Jay, the other thing that the, that COVID and and the uncertainty has affected is the the franchise tag deadline which was July 15th it seems like covid had an effect on that this year where we would normally expect to see a lot of big deals get done before that deadline or at least a fair amount and, and a lot of guys notably you know our guy Anthony Harris Dak Prescott Shaq Barrett who I I'm astonished that he doesn't have a deal. Bud Dupree is gonna is gonna play on the on the uh, tag, but the the discussion here seems to be that teams and, and probably smartly so are waiting to see what happens with the upcoming 2020 and 2021 salary caps, and they're trying to avoid putting themselves in difficult positions where then you know you might have to cut or renegotiate next year and potentially lose some critical players. So I. I understand why we've got here from from a personal standpoint. Uh, you know, that means Anthony Harris is going to play under the franchise tag this year. And, and that was kind of always possibly in the cards. And I know he's he's been on the board as a possible trade option. You, you know, the long term deal has been discussed. We don't really know where it's going to land. I, I just have to say, 
I don't know if this is where you're at. I am such a big Anthony Harris fan. Absolutely. He checks all the boxes for me. And it's interesting. We get to, you know, we can shed a little light getting to be in the building and spend time with these guys. You know, to be a guy who was not a first-round draft pick, who was not a a touted late-round draft pick even, who came in, who worked his way up the roster and, and became one of the best at his spot in the league, but, but then you combine that with the type of human man he is. He, like, this is a dude who, like, we've had him on the show. I had him on the video game show. He understands the importance of giving his fans access and how much his fans appreciate that. He's just a stellar dude. He's like, we in the sports media throw that lame term around, like, he's just a great guy. You're a great lo- you the sort of guy you want in the locker room. Anthony Harris is a beast. I don't know how it's going to pan out, but also let's just talk football for a second. For the last however many years, there's been two things. Me, Cy, Cy Amundsen, every year goes, oh no, how's this going to go? And it's always been kicker. Well, three things. It's always been kicker, punter, and the safety who's not Harrison Smith. And to see Anthony Harris step, I mean, we're we're at the point where, and I said this, this is why Anthony Harris is so important, because everybody's freaking out about cornerbacks, right? We have all these young cornerbacks, but if you have two stellar safeties to anchor the middle of the field, you give young cornerbacks a chance to learn and grow. The last, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say Harrison and Anthony Harris are first ballot Hall of Famer no-brainers, but the last team to put together a stud safety core with young cornerbacks, Jay, do you know who I'm talking about? No. The Seattle Seahawks. Oh, got it. Yeah, the Legion of Boom. They and were then of absolutely course, loaded. Richard Sherman came into his own and became a Hall of Fame level yep. cornerback. But when that first started, you had those two stud safeties in Chancellor and Earl Thomas yep. and a young core of cornerbacks around him. So I, as everybody's really worried, I'm, I'm happy we got the tag on him. Everybody's really worried about the cornerbacks this year. I'm cautiously optimistic for that unit. The thing about those two is that the veteran status of both of them and as highly sought after as they have been just throughout the league in general, the fact you have two of them as big a studs as they are, Anthony Harris is critical in that he lets Harrison Smith just do his thing, whether he's blitzing, whether he's creeping up in the box, if he's playing the run, you know you have safety back there in Anthony Harris. And for what he's getting paid this year, for what he's potentially going to get on the open market if he hits it, I think... We have an opportunity here where you have the two veterans in the back who can help teach those newcomers coming into that position. Having both those guys just as teachers in the room, I think Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris are invaluable to this team, and I think Mike Zimmer trusts them unequivocally. And I'm just excited that he's back here, and I hope, I I really do, I hope to God that they can find a way to get him a long-term deal because if you can solidify those two guys with the young cornerback core and have some guys step up of out of the what six new guys they have walking in to that unit I think you are potentially lined up to have success in that group for five to six years minimum moving forward uh one of my favorite things moments from VEN the Vikings Entertainment Network last year was I was fortunate enough to 
uh, kind of help is a very generous word, but I would say work with Nate Vaughn on the voyage. And it's, you know, just as a side note, we, we talk a lot on this show about, uh, you know, the people in front, me, you, Corso talking, the great writers, Craig Peters, Lindsay, uh, you know, all those, all those guys. I shouldn't start a list because I'll inevitably leave somebody out, but we've got this incredible team of people editing and creating the content. And Nate Vaughn, I've worked in a lot of places, ESPN, out in Hollywood, sold a TV show to MTV. Nate Vaughn is such a stud editor, and I love The Voyage. The Voyage is my favorite thing we do here at VEN. But last year, because I also, I just love that it's a football life vibe, yep. and he really hit on that last year. So I'm, I'm, I can't wait for that show this year. But in the episode last year where they called players to let them know we we had we got a behind the scenes look at Rick Spielman calling guys who got pro bowl nods and he called Harrison Smith and the first thing Harrison Smith asked was if Anthony Harris got it and i was like that was such a cuz Harrison did not know he was being videotaped that was not it, just to know that those guys who are both that good, are that connected. And then you think about it, think of how you have that on multiple levels. Yes. Because you you have those two guys who act like that, and then you step down a level, and you have Kendricks and Barr, who if you told me they grew up in the literal same crib, like baby crib, that wouldn't surprise me. So I I really hope uh, things, I'm happy that he's here for the year, and I hope things go forward. The other notable name was Dak Prescott. Uh, we don't need to get into it. I just think that's going to be a fascinating f- – because with the amount of money that Patrick Mahomes got, you know, we might see a Kirk Cousins – like I-, I think Dak has a chip on his shoulder, and 100%. maybe rightfully so. I think we, as much as we all love Kirk, I think we can all agree that Dak's stock and the view of him from around the league is higher currently in Dallas than Kirk was – near the end of his run at Washington. And that's not a slight on Kirk. It's just people are looking at Dak as a $35, $40 million no-brainer, you know, staying with the same team. And then you got Dak's brother tweeting, and it's that is going to be an old Jared Jones soap opera that I I think will be very fun to watch. It is going to be an absolute circus with a white-hot spotlight on it. It's Dallas. They've got the... Superstar new wide receiver coming in. They're loaded on offense. And and if, you know, how many times has Dallas had this where they have a very good quarterback and everyone's looking at him saying, why can't you win the big one? I think Dak is definitely going to have the chip on his shoulder. And we'll see because he could get to a point where he absolutely lights it up this year. And then in the offseason next year says, you know, hey, thanks for the memories, but I'm out of here and I'm getting paid by somebody else. So it, it will... Like you said, it'll be a Jerry Jones soap opera down in Dallas this upcoming season. Well, now that we detoured away from the Vikings secondary, just so I could talk about Dak Prescott, let's detour back to the secondary for our interview uh, on today's show. Cameron Dantzler. The Vikings are bringing in, as you mentioned, Jay, five new draftees and one undrafted free agent into the secondary. Dantzler was uh, a third-round pick out of Mississippi State, and I think he immediately became a name that you know people kind of got excited about, and uh, it, it felt like this is this is dramatic, and I'm not trying to place expectations, but when Daniil Hunter was drafted, he was 
really talked about like, oh, I'm kind of surprised he was there. Oh, he's got all this potential. And that's what I, I get a little bit of that same vibe with Dantzler. When you, when you talk to people around the building, when you talk to people who know what they're talking about, it might not, you might not see a, a pro bowler year one, but I think you see people who are like, there's really a buzz uh, about his potential. And there's going to be opportunities with the 2020 Vikings to show that potential. So with that being said, our very own Chris Corso got to sit down with him for Vikings.com. And Chris, why don't you go ahead and take it away? What is up, Vikings fans? We have another member of the Vikings rookie draft class joining the Minnesota Vikings podcast. It's Cameron Dantzler, the third round pick out of Mississippi State. What's going on, man? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. I I think I have to start out this interview uh, asking you about your nickname because I I, I just love it. Like it just sticks out the needle. I think it says a lot about your frame and your your tall body frame being a cornerback and and having that long range. So tell us how you got that nickname, where it came from, because I I, I mean, I just love it. It came from high school around like sophomore year. I was probably like 140 something, 150 something. And I was always a, a tall, skinny guy. Then, you know, I was always coming up, tackling people, and they stayed down for a long time. The coach was like, we're going to call you the needle. And ever since <laughs> then, the name just, you know, stuck with me. I love it. And do you plan on, on making that stick and keep sticking throughout throughout your pro career? Oh, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. What happens when quarterbacks try to thread the needle? What do you what do you say then? <laughs> and that's when, that's when it popped. The ball popped and comes to my hand. I I love it, man. Uh, well, going back to your high school days, uh, you played both sides of the ball. You were a quarterback, and you ran for a ton of yards. You threw for a ton of yards. Um, how do you think that'll help you kind of translate into your career um, as a quarterback in the NFL? Oh, I just feel like um, when playing the position of quarterback in high school, it helps you with the corner position. You know, a lot of corners really play quarterback in high school, so it's like you know what the quarterback is thinking. You know his read. His eye contact to the receiver. Um, so I just try to progress that to my game moving forward. Um, because, you know, like I said, I played quarterback my junior senior high school, and that just helps me a lot with um, the corner position. I was looking back at some of your previous interviews, and you were talking about your, your best trait is your confidence. You're really confident out there playing in the SEC in college. Uh, where did that come from, and, and how do you think that – do you think you're going to have that confidence when you step in the uh, purple and gold with the Vikings? Oh, no doubt. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be even more dangerous when stepping to the um, next level because, you know, like I said, I've been dotted my whole life. So me being a small guy, you just got to have that confidence in what you can do and know your abilities. So I just try to take that with everything I do, not just football in life too. You, know, you just got to have confidence. So I just take that on the field, and then it just turned out on perfect for me. Speaking of confidence, I was looking at the pro football focus stat a few days ago, and they said your passer rating when targeted your last two years of college was 43.6. And for comparison, if you just slap the ball down every single play, it would be 39.6. So I think that's a pretty good stat for you to hang your hat on. You're right. It is. It is. So what is it about your game that you just do such a good job uh, just defending the ball and keeping the ball out of the receiver's hands? Um, I'm going to be honest, I got to give that um, most credit to my position coach in college, uh, Terrell Buckley. Um, he was a guy that taught me a lot. You know, coming into college, I never really played corner, so I was confused still, didn't have hips or nothing like that. 
I was just athletic. So, you know, they tried me a corner when I got to college. And having a guy like Coach Buckley, he taught me a lot, you know, patience, eyes, hands. Um, I really got most of my, you know, my confidence swagger from him because, you know, he's one of those guys that had confidence and swagger. And, you know, I want to say is you know, cocky, but like I say, yeah, confidence. So you got to be cocky a little bit. I had a little cockiness and a little flavor of cockiness in my um, game. But, you know, I just got to give him um, most credit to him. Looking at some of the cornerbacks in the NFL, a lot of the great ones have that cocky slash confident uh, type going with them. Who was a player you looked up to growing up and who you really try to model your game after? Growing up, um, I'll say it was Tyron Matthew growing up. But right now, I'll say Jalen Ramsey, Ramsey and Richard Sherman. Now, those guys, they play with fundamentals. They fundamentally sound, they throw a technique, and they got that swagger to them. Especially Jalen Ramsey, I just love that swagginess about him. You know, I try to watch his game, him and Richard Sherman, just that swagginess. Looking back at your college career, you played a ton of big games, and um, one game that the Vikings uh, front office pointed out was the game against LSU. Uh, I think you had a forced fumble in that game, and you played Jamar Chase pretty well. What was it like playing in, in the SEC and playing against such tough opponents pretty much week in and week out? Um, I'll say preparation. Um, Everything started with preparation. So Sunday after the the previous game, I just go in, you know, study receivers, try to know their strengths, their weaknesses. And you know, I actually hold Chase to only one catch, and that was like six yards, but not just had to throw it out there. But um, I, I love it, man. <laughs> just got to know, got to be um, prepared for guys like that. You know, I was very, I was you know very prepared for him. I knew what he liked to do. I knew what he didn't like to do. Um, I know his strengths, his weaknesses. So I just you know study that. Um, throughout the week, and I was prepared for him on Saturday. Yeah, his teammate over there at LSU is now your teammate in Justin Jefferson. I know you guys are both from Louisiana. Uh, talk about the relationship that you guys have. Well, you know, we actually trained together too for the combine. So, you know, we was always saying, like, what if we got drafted together? You know, we like we battled a lot for the combine. We battled in college. So it just, just a, ble- a blessing to have a great player like him on your side. And God's going to help you get better each and every day at practice. Yeah, he tweeted right when you got drafted that that you were a real one. And then he uh, kind of tweeted a few weeks ago making fun of your swag out there at Mississippi State. I think you had some long socks going on. <laughs> yeah, I did. You know, you got to switch it up a little bit. got to switch it up. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, looking at the Vikings, man, we got a lot of SEC players. We have Irv Smith at Alabama, another Louisiana guy. Um, Just so many players from the uh, SEC. We just talked to DJ Wanham, who played at South Carolina. So uh, do you guys kind of have a tight-knit bond, some of you guys? Oh, yeah. um, Me, I'll say um, Jets, um, Irv. I've been bonded with Mike, um, Hollywood, Houghton Hill, um, Jeff Gladley. you know, it just, I just like, you know, it's a good thing to have a bond with your teammates um, with, with this pandemic we in. So, you know, we get close. So we get on the field, we can just get right to it and move as one. It looks like a couple of you guys have been training out there as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, we have. We have been. Well, looking at the opportunities this year for cornerbacks on the Vikings roster, I mean, you have to be excited. A um, ton of players that, that left in free agency, and it seems to be that it's going to be a young core at, at the Vikings cornerback position. So are you ready for this opportunity this year? Oh, yeah, I like pressure. You know, um, I've been, like I said, I've been doing pressure my whole life. So 
I've been beating odds my whole life, so I'm looking forward to the challenge. So it's probably safe to say that if we drafted 15 cornerbacks with all of our positions, that Coach Mike Zimmer would be uh, very happy <laughs> with every single pick. He's a big fan of the cornerback position. So uh, what have your interactions with him been like uh, so far, virtually, of course? Uh, I really haven't spoke to him as much in the virtual meetings. You know, he talks to me when they draft me. And he was like, you know, he loved big, tall corners and fields of corners, and he's looking forward to me. Um, you know, contributing to the defense. And I'm looking forward to, you know, making plays and, you know, just be thankful that he um drafted me. He gives those corners a lot of tough love, so you ready for that? Oh, tough love the best love. I've been having tough love my whole life. I, I love to hear it. Well, looking at uh, some of the things off the field, it looks like you have uh, a, a couple of little children there that you had uh, in the past year or so. So how, how has that been going? You, you're becoming a, You're really growing up real quick. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Having kids, you have to mature and grow up real fast. But no, I just feel like um, it's just a blessing. They're just making me go harder. So it's, it's, not, it's not for me anymore. It's for them. So they're my reason why I'm really doing this now. So for Vikings fans out there, tell them one thing about you, yourself, that they wouldn't know. Maybe off the field, just something different that they wouldn't know about you. I like to go fishing. You know, I'm a nature type of guy. I like to fishing, hunting. You know, I just like the, the wilderness you're going to do well in Minnesota. There's like 11,000 lakes. <laughs> For real? Looking forward there's to a, it. There's a lot of lakes, man. <laughs> I didn't even know that. It's, it's, I heard it's so cold down there. <laughs> I was about to say, growing up down south, I know Irv always makes jokes. He like can't handle can't handle the cold over here. But are you ready for the cold? Uh, I ain't got no choice but to be ready at this point. <laughs> well, at least U.S. Bank Stadium is, is indoors, and, and you'll be warm up in there. That's for sure. Right. All right. Well, thanks, Cam. We uh, we look forward to hopefully seeing you very soon at the TCO Performance Center, and and hopefully you can finally meet your teammates all in person, all together. Thank That was Chris Corso with Cameron Dantzler. Great job, Chris. Jay, that'll do it for us on the show today. Thank you so much for all your hard work and for being the guy that uh, listens to me talk a whole bunch and then responds. Uh, just a couple of quick notes. Uh, stay tuned to the Vikings.com and all of our social media for the latest in Viking news. We got some great stuff up right now, Jay. Uh, staff writer Craig Peters reviews the Nate Stanley signing, uh, and he talks about his journey to the NFL and reviews his successes he had for the Hawkeyes. It's a really fun piece. Lindsey Young uh, looks at Justin Jefferson being included in Lance Zerline's list of Offensive Rookie of the Year candidates. So if you want to get excited about what Jefferson might do, that's that's part of her lunch break article. And uh, again, Cam Dancer, who you just heard with Chris Corso, he's today's guest in Five Things to Know About Cameron Dantzler on Vikings.com. Check us out everywhere, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, YouTube. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you got any last thoughts? As we are a week and a half out from uh, July 28th being our official start to camp, just stay tuned as much as possible to Vikings.com for all the details that get hashed out here between the league and the NFLPA. And um, hopefully everything stays on track and we can get back to football here in the fall real soon. Absolutely. And that's uh, we, we hope to have more information for you next week on the thing that we thought we would have information for you on this week. Uh, we'll see you guys soon.